the fundamentals are they're not sexy. They're not cool. They're not hip. Most people don't talk about them, but the fundamentals are the key to success in anything. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. Today, my guest is Tim Fitzpatrick. Tim, how are you? I am fantastic, Matt. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm glad to have you on the show. I know I was also on your show and uh, we had a really good time and we had a good conversation. Tim's an entrepreneur, business owner with expertise in marketing and growth. He has 20 plus years of entrepreneurial experience and a passion for developing and growing businesses. His passion has served him well in operating and managing a wholesale distribution company he owned for nine years, a company that grew an average of 60% per year until being acquired in 2005. And you run Rialto Marketing, and you're also the host of the CMO podcast. Actually, it's the Rialto Marketing Podcast. Original, right? Oh, it's the Rialto Marketing Podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) But anyway, we're here to talk about marketing fundamentals. And I know that you and I already started to have a conversation about this before we got into recording, but we're going to have to back it up and start over so that other people can listen to what we're talking about. Yes. So what? Uh, here's, here's my first question. What do you think most businesses or entrepreneurs are missing when it comes to marketing fundamentals? I, most of them skip the fundamentals. That's what I see most commonly. So we there is a tendency with marketing to just jump in and start taking action and taking action is great but we have to have a foundation in place to ensure that the the actions we take are actually going to be successful look you and i both know this matt the the fundamentals are they're not sexy they're not cool they're not hip most people don't talk about them but the fundamentals are the key to success in anything The quote that I love from Michael Jordan is get the fundamentals down and the level of everything you do will rise. Professionals make things look easy because they have the fundamentals. They have mastered the fundamentals and they don't even think about them. And in any discipline, I don't care what it is, the fundamentals don't change. The fundamentals of shooting a basketball to make a free throw are the same today as they were 50 years ago. And they're going to be the same 50 years from now. Same thing with marketing. And what I see so often is people just skip the fundamentals in marketing. They don't have a clear understanding of their target market. They don't have clear engaging messaging to attract that market. And they don't have any type of plan of how they're going to get that message in front of those people. They just want to have a website and they got to have a TikTok channel or a YouTube channel or whatever the cool tactic may be. They just want to jump in and start doing that. But You can't do those things successfully until you first have those fundamentals in place. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, talking about the fundamentals, you know, not changing over time. I really like to read old marketing books, like direct copy marketing books where people had to write like these huge articles that would be in like magazines and newspapers and convince someone that they had a solution to their problem or, you know, whatever it is. But they really had the fundamentals down, right? Like Because they had to, because you were like, you got to know who your customer is and know how to speak their language and know what makes them tick and be able to speak to those things. And I mean, you just don't see it that much anymore. 
which is unfortunate because it makes for crappy ads, right? It does. It does. I just, I think marketing, it, it, it hasn't changed, but it has at the same time. There are so many different marketing channels now than there used to be. And because there's so many more channels, there's so many more tactics. And what I find is just so many people are just battling information overload when it comes to marketing and they just feel overwhelmed. And when they're overwhelmed, they just don't even know where to start. You know, they, they just can't even possibly think about putting a plan together of what they're going to do. And when you take things back to the fundamentals, it really does simplify things and it gives you that focus and that direction that you need to eliminate all the, all the distraction and the information. That's valuable. I think before anyone writes another social media post or goes and reads more articles about what the best 2021 tactics are, you know, all of those things watches another YouTube video is to sit down and figure out what is the message that your customer needs to hear, right? Like, how do you determine before you, you go out blindly sending stuff into the world, you know, there, there's a process that needs to happen first. And, you know, maybe that's something that we should talk about a bit is, you know, what is the process? What should people be doing? before they start putting more stuff out? So in my opinion, the first place to start is with your target market because everything that you do is centered around your target market. And when we talk about our target market, what we're really doing is trying to identify who who we're going to serve and how we're going to serve those people. And the easiest place, I think, for most existing businesses to start. So I'm assuming that, you know, you've been in business for a while. You've got current and past customers that you can can use as a reference source. I want you to start by asking yourself three questions. I want you to first ask yourself, who do you enjoy working with? Why the heck do we want to work with people that make our lives difficult? I mean, there's just no point. So let's look at the clients that we've worked with that we really enjoyed working with. Then we want to look at who are our most profitable clients. If we are going to stay in business, we need to work with profitable clients. The third question is, who do you do your best work for? If we can consistently work with clients that we get great results for, the natural byproduct from that is they're going to stay with us longer. They're going to want to do more business with us. They're going to want to refer people they know. Those are all good things. So if we ask ourselves those three questions, we end up with a subgroup of current or past customers that we answered positively to all three of those questions. That is the subgroup where I think you should start to look for your ideal clients. And the way you look for your ideal clients within that subgroup is you start to look at the demographics and the psychographics within that group. So when we talk about demographics, the demographics you look at are going to vary depending on what type of business you're in. But in general, when we talk about demographics, we're talking about numbers. You know, how old are they? Do they have specific types of positions? Do they live in certain areas? Do they live in a house that's between 500000 to a million dollars? You know, are they in certain industries? I mean, all of those things are demographics that help us hone in on and better understand who this person actually is. The psychographics are about their thoughts, their feelings, their aspirations. That's what really helps us get into their head. Because when we create messaging, we want to enter the conversation that they're having in their head. 
in order to do that, we need to understand what are the problems they're facing as it relates to what we do. What goals do they have? You know, what results are, are they looking for? What roadblocks do they have as it relates to what we do? All of those things help us get into their head. When we look at the demographics and the psychographics for that group, inevitably what happens is one to three subgroups come from that. Those are your ideal client types. And I, I don't recommend that, a, that a, you know, a business has more than three ideal client types. I think if you start to get, get more than that, it becomes too broad and it dilutes your focus. You need to focus. So typically businesses have one to three ideal client types. That doesn't mean those are the only people you're going to do business with. It just means that those are the people you're going to direct and focus your marketing efforts towards. Yeah, you get a lot of people that have this distraction of if I only focus on group A, it means I'm ignoring everyone else, which totally is not true. The biggest roadblock people have when we talk about this, and you're you're totally right, Matt. It's honestly the exact opposite becomes true. You end up attracting more because your messaging really resonates with those people that you intend to attract. And you may still get people that come to you. And then from there, you can determine whether it's going to be a good fit. Do you want to work with that person? Do you do you feel like you can get great results for them? If you can't, well, then, you know, it's your business, your choice. Say, hey, you know what? You're just this is probably not a best fit. I want the best for you. And I don't think we're that company. But I know so and so. Let me refer you and connect you so that you can get to where you need to be. Right. I think a lot of times when we think about, you know, generating something like a customer avatar or, you know, I mean, there's various names for it, you know, of who, who the who the perfect customer is. I like to do it around kind of profit centers of your business. So if you're a business coach and you only do business coaching, right, then finding out who those people are and making a few, you know, avatars around those people is going to help you understand who they are, be able to reach out to them, that kind of stuff. But if you're a company like our company, where we do website hosting and we do web app development and we do advertising and some of these things are not going to have the same ideal client. So for each profit center, we have a separate kind of perfect client. Yep. And that can happen, right? It's the, and the more... The more services you have can create some challenges there, right? Like I was talking to somebody yesterday who's who's a mediator, but then she also does like a conflict. I can't remember exactly what she called it, but like conflict resolution investigation. Well, the ideal clients for those services are, are distinct and they're different. And, and that's OK. But knowing that that's the case is the important part, right? <laughs> because now at least she's empowered with the information of, hey, for this service, I, I intend to track these people, but for this one, it's this totally different group. And, and that's all right, but knowing is, is half the battle. And now you can take that information and determine what you need to do to move forward. Right, there's that, I don't know what you call it, a, a theory, I guess, so where I think it's Donald Miller who came up with the kind of Rolo, Rolodex style. I don't know if anyone remembers what a Rolodex is now, but it's one of those things <laughs> where you would just have one card for each person. Yes. So you would just write down like Bob is the plumber and here's his information. You stick it in the Rolodex under P for plumbing, right? And there's only one card, one Rolodex card in people's brain for what you do. So you need to be known for the one thing that you do. And that doesn't mean that you only do one thing just for that group of people. You're that person, right? 
Yeah, you have to pick what you want to be known for. You don't want to be the someone who's like, hey, if you need help with your business, well, I'm a business consultant and a coach and a web developer and a graphic designer and I make logos and I also do print material and I'll build up, I'll send out your events and I'll do People just go, they just don't know what you do, right? If you go, I'm the Facebook ads guy, they go, okay, Matt's the Facebook ads guy, right? That's it. So along those fundamentals, I think another kind of fundamental step that gets missed or skipped a lot or people just aren't aware of it is kind of sitting down with everybody, depending upon the size of your company, but sitting down with everyone who's a stakeholder in your company and nailing down what do we stand for? Who are we as a business? When somebody, you know, thinks about our business, what do they think of, right? And you know, a good example, a friend of mine on LinkedIn posted that they just went and bought an, the new ACDC CD. And I'm like, ACDC has been around for like 50 years or something, right? <laughs> and they said they listened to it and it was exactly what they thought it was going to be. It still sounds like them. It's still the same kind of hard rock music. And and it sound, you know, it's an ACDC album. You know what you're going to get when you get an ACDC album, right? Another, I heard another good example. Seth Godin used an example that said, Nike doesn't make hotels, but if you think about it, you can kind of picture what a Nike hotel would look like because it would be on brand. You know, you know what they stand for. You know what their brand is. You know, you know, if if Apple were to go out and make, I don't know, some other kind of device than the stuff they make now, if Apple was going to have an Apple store restaurant, you can kind of imagine what it would look like. Right. And so I think a lot of companies just go, well, you know, we're the locksmith for you know Hillsborough, Oregon. So we're the Hillsborough locksmiths. And then they go on their social media and they're like, hey, do you is your lock broken? We'll fix it. That doesn't attract people. That doesn't differentiate you. Right. I think that's where in our process we address that when we start to look at messaging. And you had mentioned you had mentioned Donald Miller. We use kind of a modified version of Donald, Donald Miller's story brand concept and his, you know, they call it a brand script. We call it a playbook. But that no matter what you're using, it's using that framework gives you a consistent tool set that you can go back to to figure out what you want to say in whatever particular message you're creating. But it keeps you on script or on the playbook. And one of the things that we have in our playbook is is actually a section where it's like, what do you want to be known for? You know, because as you said, Matt, you can only be known for one thing. So what do you want to be known for? You know, and how are you going to consistently communicate what you do, the problem that you solve, the results that you get for clients and the the failures or the consequences that you help them avoid. If you're going to do that consistently, you have to have something like a framework. And that's what we do here with this storytelling. And, I, you know, when this was introduced to me, I just I loved it because it made it just makes sense. I mean, we're all used to stories. And when you explain to people why you use the storytelling framework and how it helps position the company, your company as the guide and your customer is the hero and how that all starts falling into place. It just makes sense to people. And there's just so many people that are, they make it difficult for people to understand what they do. It's not differentiated. They talk too much about themselves 
which are people don't care about us. They care about what we can do for them. The framework helps you avoid all of those issues. So it's just it's just simple. You know, talking about before when you're talking about some of the older marketing, one of my favorite old marketing books is The Wizard of Ads by Roy Halster Williams. And in that book, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but he said the most irresistible word in the English language is only three letters. And that word is you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I so, you know what? It's funny before we get on that. Also, we used to have these like we'd, we'd have meetings. I mean, we still do, but, but we used to have in-person meetings, right, with clients. And sometimes they have, you know, if they're a manufacturer or something or they're a bigger company, they've got five or six stakeholders in, in like a marketing meeting. Right. And. We used to actually sing this little jingle that we kind of made up and it was, you know, what's the most important person to anyone on social media, email or, you know, anywhere they go? Who's the most important person? And they always have a puzzled look on their face and we'd go me, 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 because it's all people care about. Right. When they're on social media, they're not doing it for your benefit. They're not like, I can't wait to get on LinkedIn today so somebody could send me a white paper, right? It's, you know, what's in it for me? I interviewed a uh, direct response copywriter on our podcast several weeks ago. And one of the things she said was, if you are reading your copy and you are reading over and over again, I, we, you know, we're, you got it wrong. It needs to be all focused on you. And I just thought that, that really stuck with me. It's like, yep, if you're using words like I or we, you're talking about yourself. You don't want to do it. And people who don't understand copywriting don't understand the power of copywriting. Yes. If there's anything to get good at, or at least to hire for, if you're not going to get good at it, or if it's not your thing for marketing, is copywriting. Simple, simple, simple things. So here's a good one. One of the business coaches I know, Holly Jean Jackson, she's on our Business Builder Throwdown live show. And uh, we argue about marketing stuff. But anyway, she was getting clients and they would go and like go to her scheduling software. And she was kind of having a drop off point there. Like she was sending more people there than were actually making appointments, which I mean, it's just kind of a regular thing for coaches. Right. And uh, so I looked at her whole process. Everything looked really good. Right. In, in the whole process, except it was book a 30 minute meeting with Holly. And I said, why don't we change that to have a virtual coffee with Holly? And she changed that and her booking rate increased almost 25% because no one wants to have a meeting and everybody wants to go have a coffee. And it's the same thing. It's exactly the same meeting at the same time, same scheduling program, right? It's very slight, slight tweak, right? Makes a, all the difference in the world. Can and so for people who may not be familiar with the story brand process that we're talking about, you can always look it up storybrand.com. There's a book called Building a Story Brand, but a lot of it is some pretty simple stuff like getting rid of all of the superfluous information on your website that nobody wants, being very clear in your message, kind of defining what is the thing that speaks to your client and then telling people exactly what you do. I think my favorite is, and again, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it's the times when you go to a website or something, and I'm sure everybody has had this happen to them. You go to a website, the company's called, who knows, Tri Area Industries, and you read the website and it's like, bringing the future to you today. And you just have no idea what they do. You, you just don't, right? Oh my God, here's a good example. 
there's a thing here in Nova Scotia. It's Southern Nova Scotia. So they still have like a lot of print here. They have this print thing that comes out. It's like a little paper black and white booklet that has like local businesses and classified ads and stuff in it. It's called the Bridgetown Reader. So every week in the Bridgetown Reader, there is the same ad in it to get chickens. So if you want to raise chickens, right, you can order chickens from this place. And it says, you know, contact us or check out our Facebook page. You know, if you're interested in getting chickens, doesn't have a website, doesn't have the name of their company, doesn't tell you what Facebook page they have. Just every week they run the same ad. No one has any idea how to get a hold of them. <laughs> like, it's just it's super frustrating, you know, because also I'm buying chickens. So anyway, like just these kind of fundamental things that get missed, right? Yes. And when you use the framework, it helps you eliminate that. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about the marketing bandwagon. And some people like to call it shiny object syndrome. Yes. I'm sure you've seen it before. Oh, yeah. What do you think is the latest in shiny object syndrome? I would say it's Clubhouse. That would be that would be the first one that comes to mind for me. You know, I think there's definitely some there's some opportunities. I know some people that are are definitely building pretty significant followings on Clubhouse, but it's just so early in the infancy. You know, who knows where where it's going? And even some of those people, I think they're building this following, but I'm I'm not sure they really know what they're going to do with that following or how they're going to monetize that, that following. You know, if I was on clubhouse actively, I mean, I'm, I'm in there from time to time, but if I was on there actively trying to build a following, I would be doing everything I could to get anybody that's following me on my email list. Cause who knows what the heck's going to happen with it. But I think clubhouse is definitely the most recent, you know, a lot of talk about TikTok. I, you know, in interviews, I always used to pick on TikTok and I, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, it certainly is a shiny object that a lot of people follow and there's nothing wrong with getting into some of these shiny objects, but I think you have to know why you're doing it and what the, what the goal is. Yeah. And how much time you're going to commit to it. Yes. Versus something existing that works. Yeah. Yeah. You, just, you have to have a plan for what you're going to do because, you know, realistically, I mean, come on, Matt, it's like, if you get on TikTok now or three months from now, is three months going to make a huge difference in the scheme of things? Probably not. So I love TikTok, but you know what? I don't I don't love it for selling stuff <laughs> like I don't know anyone who's gotten a client of any kind from TikTok. However, I know several people in like the coaching and consulting world who've gotten clients from Clubhouse. But I don't know anybody in either the physical product space, the SaaS space, or any kind of physical location business like manufacturers, mom, pop shops, lawyers, dentists. I don't know any of those people who've gotten any clients from TikTok or from Clubhouse. So that's difficult, right? Because it doesn't mean it's impossible, but it also means that you might be barking up the wrong tree. We don't have unlimited amounts of time or money. So, you know, we've got to pick the most appropriate channels and tactics that that are going to give us the best return. And, you know, for some of us, that may be TikTok, but for some of us, it may not. And so we've got to have that the ability to kind of discern and sift through the information to determine what's going to be the best thing to have in our plan. Right. There's definitely a cost benefit analysis that needs to be done 
before you jump into some of those new platforms. I think you should fart around with it a little bit, see how it works. You know, maybe just get your name on it, right? Get your company name on there so that somebody else doesn't go on and take your company name. But yeah, there's a number of, of reasons that you should get on a new platform. But I think what you shouldn't do is like stop doing something that gets you clients and start doing something new. I think it needs to be a, I'm going to also do this thing if I have time, but if I don't have time, then to either don't do it or find somebody else who can do it for you. Yep, totally agree. Uh, yeah, don't, don't stop doing the things that are working. If you want to put it in there as an addition, then, then great to, you know, to test it. But why would you stop doing what's working already? What happens to people do it all the time, right? I don't know how many times I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's probably one of the worst things you could do. Yeah. I think it's great for, you know, from a fundamental marketing standpoint, most companies that I've run into small businesses to even, even medium sized kind of, of businesses, multi-location businesses, stuff like that. Coaches, e-commerce stores, all of these people, most of their revenue would improve more if they spent some time working on their website and spent less time on all social media combined. Because once you have the, the fundamentals on your website done and you can actually convert some people, then you can go spend the time bringing attention to it, right? Yeah. Well, Matt, I think you bring up a really important point there. There's so many people out there who are, you know, who are like, I did SEO or I did social media. It didn't work. And I don't think it's a matter of that it was a bad tactic. I think it was the right tactic at the wrong time. They skipped some of those fundamentals. If you don't know who you're trying to reach, you don't know what you're going to say to those people, and you don't have a good website that has good content, very clear calls to action, i.e. what do you want people to do? What action do you want them to take off your website? You have no business jumping into tactics that are going to drive people back to your website because they're just not going to convert. So we've got to make sure that we're we're doing things in the order that they need to be so that as we start to get more tactical, those tactics actually work. But when we skip the fundamentals, we're not really giving the tactics the opportunity to be as effective as they can or should be. Right. And there is a lot of steps that need to happen before you're going to go out and start kind of heavily promoting on other platforms and stuff. I see this a lot with podcasts, actually. So, oh, my gosh. you And maybe you've run into this also. I have probably seen, I don't know, just people I know, like like I actually talk to them on, on a fairly regular basis, probably 20 or 30 people who have started podcasts. And almost all of them have said to me, I don't get any leads from my podcast, but I have about five other podcasters and friends that I know that get a crap load of leads from their podcast, right? Like they're just crushing it. I mean, one Phil Palucci I've had on my show twice. He, he gets like 1200 leads from his podcast a year. It's insane, right? But what happened was he's got all the other stuff built that he needs to generate those leads. Then he made a podcast. He didn't make a podcast and then tell people, you know, well, if you need something, come check me out or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, he built the systems around it. So. But does he also does he have calls to action in his podcast? A bit. But I think the majority of it is is they talk about subjects and then people go search for those subjects and then that's how they get found. There's a mental trigger 
to people discovering something on their own, even if you're kind of leading them, you know, if you're leading the horse to water, but you can't make them drink idea, right? Well, this is more of, of the horse finds the water themselves, right? If you can make something that's so good, that's so awesome that somebody goes, you know what, I need to, to type that thing into Google and you have the SEO done so that when they type it into Google, they find you, then that process will always work. It will. I, you know, the biggest thing I see with podcasts is that I just don't think a lot of people don't have, if any, calls to action. Like, what do you want people to do? You know, if you don't tell people what you want them to do, most of them are not going to take that action. I also think that people get into podcasting or any type of content creation with unrealistic expectations. Content is a long-term play. You know, you're not going to create a blog post and all of a sudden have a million visitors to your website. It's something that you have to do consistently over time. And, you know, most of the podcasters that I have talked to who have had some success have told me, you know, I said, look, how, how long did it take you to start to reach a point of critical mass? And the most consistent answer I've received is 12 to 18 months. Prior to that, they weren't getting a lot of traffic. So I don't know if you found the same thing, but that's the most consistent answer I've received. Yeah, I'd say we're about probably close to 24 months. Well, I, we got a little bit after about a year. And there's different ways to generate leads from a podcast. I would say there's kind of three ways to generate leads from a podcast. One of them, and this is what we do, is I find people like you that I find interesting that I want to talk to. And then we have a relationship. And then when I need something that your company does or you need something my company does or we have a referral for each other, then we pass that business. That's how all the money is made on my podcast. Right. It is rare that a listener will contact us for any kind of work. Usually it's someone we know who was referred by a guest. Now, there's also podcasts where the guest is the lead. Right. Yes. Yes. And so they're trying to get people to come on their show and then they're going to follow up with those people, usually with a drip campaign or something like that. And, and then try and turn those people into clients. And then there's your consumer based podcast where the people who are listeners are the ones that they're trying to convert. And those are the hardest ones to convert. It's way harder to convert a listener than it is to convert a guest. And I think that's something that people have a hard time thinking about because most people think, well, I'm going to have a podcast. Of course, the listener is who I'm after because they come from a world that's that's based in radio. Right. Right. Yeah. I one. I'm mad. I think you hit the nail on the head. And the first two, if you think about it, are it's all it's about building relationships. You're using the podcast as a way to get to know people and establish a foundation for that relationship to be built upon. And yeah, I mean, I know people, they, have, they don't care how many downloads they have on their podcast. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't care. It, I'm using it to build the relationship with the people that I'm interviewing. I mean, honestly, it's the same reason why I do guest podcast spots. I mean, yes, I want to add value to, to people's audiences, but it's a very good relationship building exercise and it's a great way to connect with people. It's amazing to me how much sort of free information, advice, learning happens by having guests on the podcast. And yes, the listener gets that benefit also. But we had mentioned Donald Miller a couple of times earlier, not to keep bringing it up. But I used to listen to Donald, Donald Miller podcast a lot in the early days. And he used to say all the time, he'd be like, I love having these brilliant guests on our show because it's like free consulting, right? 
And it totally is, right? You get to learn stuff from people all the time that maybe you didn't think of something or they do something different or they're an expert in, a, in an area that you don't really work in. Yeah, I mean, you learn all kinds of stuff. It's great. Yep. So do I. I'm all about it, man. I think uh, podcasting and guest podcasting is a great way to meet some awesome people. And it's good for SEO and you don't have to do any work. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they put together good show notes, right? That's right. Actually, they just need to mention you. That's it. Nowadays, the Google is smart enough. You get enough mentions out in the world. You don't even need a backlink. But uh, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. That's, it's time for another whole episode to talk about about all the all the new stuff in the SEO world. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, they want to get the right plan in place. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Best place to go, Matt, is our, our website, which is rialtomarketing.com. So that's R-I-A-L-T-O marketing.com. If your audience wants to get some more info about these fundamentals that we really started to touch on today, we put together a, a page specifically for your digital marketing masters listeners, and they can go to rialtomarketing.com forward slash digital dash marketing dash masters. And if they hit some roadblocks as they go down that road, just click the get up free consult button and I'd be happy to chat and help them get some clarity on where they need to focus right now. Nice, Tim. Thanks for coming on and talking about marketing fundamentals. You bet. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.